So we are looking in this series over the next six weeks at what we should believe, why we should believe it, and why it all matters, okay? What we believe inside of us is one of the most important things about us. What you believe actually determines your behavior. Come on, you with me? You, like, the, you're acting a certain way because you believe a certain way. What you believe will shape what we call your worldview. It's the way that you, you look at the world. It's the lens you use when you try to interpret the world and interact with the world. That is, it's all shaped by what you believe. Your belief shapes your behavior. Now, here's the problem we're facing today, or what we want to address in the series, is that there's a lot of people that don't really have a firm grip on what they believe. They might even say that they're a Christian, but they really don't even know some of the core fundamental truths of the Christian faith. They couldn't maybe articulate them or defend them or point to scripture as to why they believe them. And so what we see happen a lot of times is that because you don't have a firm grip on what you believe, you end up getting tossed around by, by the world system of belief. You end up you end up, your behavior ends up being um, adjusted by or affected by maybe what's happening in the world. So now all of a sudden, you know, I'm being pulled around by, well, what they're saying is pushing me over here. And then, you know, what they started saying is pushing me over there. And, and all of a sudden, you're being tossed to and, and fro. And we're going into a, you know, a pandemic in, in the world. And I don't really know what I believe or how this fits. And so, does God still love me? And everything going to be all right? And, is there a, and you find yourself, and we saw a lot of, I watched a lot of my dear friends and a lot of people I care for just being thrown around by everything happening around us. You get into a, you know, a, a, a time where in a, you know, different, maybe politics start throwing you around, different, in different uh, points of view, and you're just getting drawn from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and you find yourself a little bit dizzy, find yourself a little bit tired, beat up. If you don't have a firm grip on what it is you actually believe, why it is you actually believe what you believe, there's a lot of people that do that. Here's what I believe. Why do you believe that? Uh, well, they told me to? <laughs> well, why do you believe it? It's got to be bigger than they told you to, Okay. So what do I believe? Why do I believe it and why it matters? Here's the other thing that happens. Maybe you're not a person who doesn't have a firm grip on what you believe, kind of understand what you believe. There's others who believe strongly in something, but their problem is what they believe is wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I believe this, I'll take it to my grave. Well, you're wrong, right? And here's what happens to a lot of people is they, they hold very tightly to something they believe, but what they believe is wrong, so they end up lost. Like, so they've got directions, but they're the wrong directions. And so now all of a sudden they're in a cul-de-sac and they're lost and they're hurting and they're confused. They don't know why they're lost and hurting and confused. It's because what they've been holding on to is wrong and now they're in a dead end. And you're never going to get out of that until you get proper instruction, until you actually believe what's true. So I just want to help those of you who are Christians really understand what a Christian should believe, why you should believe it, other than they just, they told me to. Right? You could actually substantiate it, take lots of notes, look at these things. And then for those of you who are not Christians, and maybe you're holding on to different beliefs, I really want you to spend these next week, six weeks, considering what it is I'm going to present to you over these next six weeks. Okay? Deal? Deal? Deal. Our intention is to cover what's called the essentials of the Christian faith. The essentials. It's a six-week series, everybody. We're not looking at everything that Christian, Christians believe, but we are going to look at the, the essentials. 
So if you break it down, Christianity, what is Christianity? Christianity really is, it's a belief system. Like, it's, it's, it are, it's certain things that Christians believe, certain things that Christians hold to be absolutely true, okay? And so Christianity really is just a set of beliefs. Here's what we believe. And so what I want to show you over the next six weeks is, is, is what we call essentials. Plan isn't to cover everything. Essentials. What are essentials? Essentials are what you have to have in order to do what it is you're wanting to do. If you don't have the essentials, then you're not doing what it is you think you're doing. Let me break it down for you. So like, to be living, you have to have the essentials for living, and if you don't have the essentials for living, well then you're not living. So the essentials for living, right? What do you need? You need some air, right? It's the first one everyone says, I need air, I need oxygen. Uh, maybe you need food, you, you, you need water. You'd add to that some out of that shelter, right? That's, if you don't have those things, you're not living, okay? Um, cooking, what do you need to cook, somebody? Come on, what do you need to cook? First service, someone yelled out, a microwave. I'm like, well, <laughs> thank you. That's <laughs> the essentials of cooking, a microwave. What has happened, right? What do we need to cook, everybody? Come on, what do you need? You need fire, you need heat, you need some kind of substance, food, you need ingredients, right? People yelling out different things. And so if you don't have, you know, those things, pots and pans, whatever it is you need, then you're not cooking, the Christian essentials, listen, if you don't have these, you're not Christian. These are the things that make Christians Christian. This is what, what we believe. Here's why we believe the core essential truths. Now, essentials um, break down into, into some different categories of essentials, and I want to show that to you with an awesome diagram that I made, the different categories of essentials. Ready? Beautiful. Thank you for that in the back. We've got salvation at its core okay salvation so these are the things that you have to believe in order to be saved okay salvation this is the, the essentials of salvation if you draw another circle around that in other words these are the ones man let's agree on these like if you don't agree on these if you don't believe this then then you're not saved you don't have a relationship with 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 jesus right outside of that is what we call orthodoxy in other words this is um what you have to believe in order to be what we call an orthodox Christian or a uh, historically, this is what a, what a Christian is. Biblically, here's what a, what a Christian is. Outside of that, there's things that we call the peripherals. So, you know, peripherals, we can, we can agree to disagree on. If you're mature, you'll learn to agree to disagree on, on certain things. And I tell you, I, I work with a lot of church planners that are planting churches and maybe coaching other pastors. They sit on different boards with, with other pastors. And can I tell you, we agree on these, we agree on these, but there's a lot of guys that I'll work with, we don't necessarily agree in all of the peripherals. Peripheral might be something like the, the, the rapture of the church. We all agree it's gonna happen, but we've, everyone has a different idea of when it's gonna happen, right? They might say, well, it's pre-trib. And someone said, well, it might be mid-trip. No, it's post-tribulation. It's, it's in the middle of the tribulation. Everyone's got a different perspective. Well, listen, we can still go to the same church and have a different perspective on when the rapture of the church is. We, we can be brothers and sisters in Christ and still have a, a different idea on, on the rapture of the church. Uh, baptism, you know. Uh, how long do you hold them down? I mean, <laughs> we can just agree to disagree, Right? I always joke when we do baptism, like, it represents the death, the burial, and thank you, Jesus, you rose again, because we just have to hold you down. That's all he gave us, guys. He died and was buried, and so, but he rose again, right? So we can, we can agree to disagree on those things. And outside of that, it, 
there's this other layer of people that'll bring to you things that actually deny Christian orthodoxy. And you gotta be really careful here because there are, there are books you could pick up in Christian bookstores that actually start to get into, into these areas. And you just need to know what you believe and why you believe it so that you can stay away from this stuff because I got a color chart that's gonna help you out ready and boom, right? These are essentials to what we're talking about. Salvation and Christian orthodoxy, these six things we're gonna be looking at. Outside of the peripherals, we're not gonna get into how long to hold somebody down when you're baptizing them. We're not gonna get into that. We're not gonna even get into uh, when the rapture of church takes place. You know, uh, we will talk about the fact that there will be a rapture. We'll get into that in the second coming. Um, and those are not essentials. We won't get those. These we're studying. These we're not gonna get into. And I want you to understand that anything outside of that, it's heresy. It denies Christian orthodoxy, okay? And, and that's where every belief, when it comes to what you believe, is gonna fall into one of those three categories. And here's what I want you to do. I want you and I to, to stand in unity on these, on the essentials, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna agree on these and stand together on these. These help me know who's on my team, right? We're on the same team, we're on the same team. These peripherals, listen, we're just, we could agree to disagree, I still love you. We're on the same team. We're just working these things out. It's a little fuzzy. That's okay, okay? And on these, you guys, I'm not, I'm not gonna let myself be pulled away into this, some of these crazy things that are out there and what people believe. Does that all make sense? So let's look together at some of the essential truths of the Christian faith. Number one, ready? If you got your journal with you, we're gonna turn over to that very first chapter. It's called the Bible. God speaks. And this is the number one beginning thing that I want to, uh, essential number one that I want to look at you guys, look at with you guys. Write this down, and I'll put it up on the screen so you have it. What you should believe, here's what you should believe, that the Bible is the inspired and only flawless, or infallible, only flawless, authoritative word of God. That the Bible is the inspired and only flawless, authoritative word of God. Let me say it for you straight. This is God's word to you. It's of divine origin, and it's meant to give you divine revelation. Every Christian needs to believe that this is God's authoritative word. Amen. Can I get a better amen? Amen. 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 That's what we should believe. Let me show you why. I didn't get a big enough amen in that, so I'm going to give you the why, and then I'm going to ask you again, and then you're going to give me a big amen next time, okay? Why should we believe that? We are finite beings, which means this, that we have limitations. We don't know everything. We can't do everything. We're, we're limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our power. Come on, we're limited in time and space. I live here and now. And we intellectually are finite. I can't understand everything about the universe. Everyone agree with me so far? Okay, well, God, whoever God is, let's just start there. Whoever God might be, we'd understand God to be infinite, meaning he's all-knowing. God is, has no bounds. God has no limitations. God is outside of time and space. God is beyond what we see. God, whoever this God is, we understand God to be outside of all this that we are, we are trapped within. So we are finite. God is infinite. Here's the, here's the dilemma we have. If a finite being is ever going to understand an infinite God, there's only one way that can happen. What religion tries to do 
is reach up as finite beings to understand an infinite God. That's called, listen, that's called speculation. Speculation, you can write that down, that's important. Speculation is, well, I think God might be like this. I think God might be like that. And this is a lot of religions today. Well, we think God is like this and we think God's like that and we're gonna tell you God's like this because we think God's like that. Well, what you're doing is speculating and speculation will, will get you lost. Speculation will get you hurt. So it'd be like, and I've used the illustration before, if I invite you to my house, I'm gonna do this someday because I keep threatening to do it. I'm gonna invite you to my house afterwards for barbecue and you can get in your car and speculate on how to get there. So you drive down the road and go, I feel like Pastor Chris might live to the left. That feels good. I feel like he lives left, right? And then you go down a little bit. Well, I feel like he lives right. I'm going to get right. You're going to get lost. And that's just going from here to my house up, up in Yukaipa. It's not that far. But you will get lost because you're speculating. And speculation will get you lost. That's what a lot of religions do. Is they're, they're finite beings trying to understand an infant God. If we are ever going to understand an infinite being or an infinite God, there's only one way that can happen. It's not speculation. It's called, it's what we call revelation. That infinite God has to reveal himself to you, has to show you what he is like, has to reveal himself to you. That's me giving you the directions. What am I doing? I'm revealing to you how to get to my house. Now, all you need to do is follow the revelation. You, you follow what's been shown to you. You see, speculation will get you lost, but revelation leads to relationship. God wants to have a relationship with you, everybody. Look at me. This, in, right, this infinite being outside of time and space with no boundaries and who, who is above all and in all and through all, as scripture says, this infinite being wants to have a relationship with you. And so what he chooses to do is to reveal himself to you. Because the only way you could have a relationship with him is if he reveals himself. Does that make sense? Matter of fact, every relationship is built on revelation. I reveal myself to you. I reveal more of myself to you so that we could have a relationship. God wants to have a relationship with you, and so he reveals himself to you. Everyone follow along so far? Now, how does God reveal himself to us? How does the infinite being show himself to the finite man? Write this one down, first one, is what we call general revelation general revelation, and the other one's called special revelation. I I want you to understand general revelation, okay? God is gonna start to reveal himself to us in just general ways. And the first way that the infinite being does that, that God does that to the finite man, is through, through creation, okay? Write that down, creation. Creation makes us aware of the fact that God exists. That there's, there's gotta be someone out there right? Something out there. This and all didn't just happen, right? Creation. Psalm, one, or Psalm 19, verse 1 and 4 say this. Say, the heavens declare the glory. The heavens do what? They declare. The heavens, the heavens are saying something. The heavens are speaking something. Creation is trying to tell you something. What is creation trying to tell me? Creation is trying to point me to the glory of God. Trying to show you how big God is, how vast God is, the weight of who God is. Creation is is screaming that to you. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day, they pour forth what? Speech. They're talking to you. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out to all the earth, 
Their words to the end of the world. You could be in the middle of nowhere, have contact with no one, and come to the realization that there has to be a God in heaven. Why? Because creation is, is revealing it. Creation is uttering it. You, at some point in your life, are going to have to look up at the heavens and go, my goodness, there is more going on than I think is going on. The heavens are telling me that there has got to be a God. Creation reveals to us that there is a creator. That makes sense? You look at creation and how intricate things are, and you walk away going, my goodness, if the sun was one degree closer to the sun, we'd all burn up. If it was one degree further, we'd all freeze, and we're, yet we're put perfectly in orbit, and here we have life. My goodness, there must be, according to that design, a designer, right? Um, my body, and the way that I'm made as a person has more design in it than a stopwatch, right? And it frustrates me to no end that someone can look at a stopwatch Look at a clock and say, oh, look, there's gears, and there, obviously there's a clockmaker. This thing didn't, the ocean didn't just spit this up. This didn't just come from nowhere. There's design. There's obviously a designer. And the same person who says that could then look at the intricacy of design within the human body and go, oh, it just happened. You know what that is? It's foolishness. You know what it is? It's man trying to suppress the truth that the heavens are telling them. Because if they face the truth of what the heavens are telling, they have to actually face God. And they don't understand God and who he is. And they don't want to live by God's authority. And so they go to crazy means to try and suppress the truth. This is what scripture tells us. Can I show it to you over in the, in the book of uh, in Romans? Romans 1.8. It says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They're pushing down what is obvious. They're trying to tell you that you came from a monkey and this is from a, that and you're like a cosmic glue, they call it, that holds the whole universe together and you know, primordial ooze that kind of, come on everybody. What are they doing? They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. It's obviously more than that. There's a designer behind all of it. Why? Because there's design in all of it. Don't look at the clock and tell me there's a clock maker. Look at your body and, and deny the fact that there is a life maker, okay? They suppress the truth and knowledge. Why? For what can be known about God is plain to them. Come on. You know that there's more going on. It's plain to them. Because God has already shown it to them. Where did he show it to them? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. All of that is seen in creation. His general revelation just gets us to go, there's got to be a God. There's got to be a God. Since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are, you're without excuse. You have no excuse. Every person is accountable to the fact that there is a God in heaven, right? Does that make sense? I says, I haven't even opened my Bible yet. And I know there's a God. Just, there's no way to deny it. You with me so far? General revelation goes on. We begin to see, not just through creation that there is a God, but through what we call common grace, common grace write that down common grace 
common grace reveals to us not just that there is a God, but that whoever this God is, he, he loves us. Why? Because common grace. Matthew 5, 45 tells us this. It says, for he makes his son. Whose son is that? Come on, whose son is that in the sky? Talk to me, everybody. The sun shining in the sky. Who does that belong to? God. It's God's son. He makes his son. What does he do with it? Oh, he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. Right? And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. What is that called? It's common grace. That God allows his son and his reign to fall on people who love him and people who don't love him. So now I know that there is a God. Boy, that God must be loving. Why? Because he's giving goodness to people of, of every belief system, people of every tribe. People, he did, listen to this. Think about this. God is giving breath to the very person that's going to use that breath to deny him. The breath that you just used to say there is no God is the very breath that was given to you by your God. See, that's called grace. It's a common grace. God is so good, when I look at it, creation, I realize that he, he gave me my breath. I realize that God gave me the sun and rain. He gave me the ability to live, to learn, to enjoy, to eat. Come on, somebody. Thank you, God, for food and drink. Gave me the ability to enjoy a, a sunrise, to sit on the beach and watch a sunset. That is the common grace of God. And what it's meant to do is to get you, before you even open your Bible, go, God is good. It drives me nuts when you look at, this is all off my notes, I'm just talking to you. I'll tell you some things drive me crazy. Isn't it funny that in like insurance policies at the very end and acts of God? It's like, why in the world are we attributing all the brokenness in our planet to God? The brokenness is our fault. The goodness is God's Right? Does that make sense? Shouldn't say acts of God is all the wickedness in the world. No, no. That, that, that we did that to ourselves. God the whole time is just trying to love on us and fix all of it and bring us back. Amen? So we have creation giving us this general revelation. Um, common grace giving us this general revelation. Let me give you one more of general revelation. It's called conscience. Your own conscience. Right? So here's how this works. I haven't even wrote my Bible yet and I know that there's a God. I know that he's good. And then I know some of what God intends for my life just by my own conscience, right? This is the, in, in, internally God gives us a, a revelation as to what's right and wrong. Every man and woman has a, this conscience. Romans 2, 14 and 15 tells us this. For, where gen, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, in other words, they don't even have the Bible. They haven't been able to look at the Ten Commandments yet. They haven't looked at how God intends for us to live our lives. So they don't even have the Bible. Okay, Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires. They haven't even read the book, but they're living the book. Why? Because there's a conscience inside them telling them what's right and wrong. They are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written where? In their hearts. Okay, While their conscience bears also bears witness. God gives you a conscience. So everyone knows, in general, murder's wrong. R lying's wrong, right? There's some things that are wrong. Conscience bears witness to that. I mean, you know my Bible yet? Conscience bears witness to that. So you're, you're out and you're having a debate, with, so you're talking with somebody about the things of God, and they say to you, well, I don't believe in absolute truth, right? Do two things, ready? First of all, ask them this, is that absolutely true? 
right? If they say, there is no absolute truth, go, is that absolutely true? Just let them spin on that for a second. And then here's what I want you to do second. Second, you do this. Just do that. Every time it works. You punch them in the stomach. You take, listen, take their keys, steal their car. Just do it. Just punch them in the stomach, take their keys, steal their car, and drive away. And drive by going, you, you know, you can't, there's no absolute truth. Like, I believe this is perfectly fine to do. I believe that I am, I am this, this is okay. Of course it's not okay. Why? Because we have a conscience that tells us you shouldn't punch them in the stomach, take their keys, and steal their car. They agree with you, and you know it, right? So it's foolish to be like, well, there is an absolute truth. Everyone kind of finds their own way. No, 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 no. Y'all know better than that. And your own conscience bears witness. Does that make sense? So here's what's happening is God, because he's so good and because he wants to have a relationship with you, is starting to reveal himself to you. I mean, you open my Bible and I know, gosh, there's a God in heaven and he must be good because he's given me breath and like life and laughter and my goodness, this God must be good and I have my own conscience starting to tell me what's right and wrong. That's all general revelation. God uses that general revelation as a way for us to begin searching for him. This is what it's all meant to do. It's meant to get every man, woman, child, every living being to start going, who is this God? I want to know more about this creator. I want to know more about this one that gave me conscience. I want to know more about this one that did everything to work. And it's, I want to know more about this one. And your heart is supposed to start yearning to know more about God. And that yearning, that searching is meant to lead you from general revelation and into specific revelation or special revelation as we call it. So now I want to know more about this God. God is going to reveal himself. The infinite being is going to reveal himself to the finite being through special revelation now. And that special revelation is found in the word of God. God revealing not just that he is, but now who he is through scripture, through the Bible. Look at me, everybody. Look at me. This. This is of divine origin, meant to give you divine revelation. That all the general revelation out there is supposed to put you out on a, on a search. You're looking, and it's meant to lead you to this. And here is where you get to know not just that there is a God, but what God is like, who he is, what he desires, right? His truths, specific revelation is found in the word of God, we believe the Bible to be the inspired and infallible, authoritative word of God. Remember I told you that we're gonna look at what we should believe and why we should believe it? What we should believe is that this is God's word to you. Why should we believe it? Because God wants to have a relationship with you. He's revealed himself to you in general terms, and now these become the specific terms. Can I tell you why we believe that this is God's special and specific revelation to us? Take some notes. First one is this. Everyone tracking with me so far? Yes. It's just good. Yes. You enjoy this. Yes. Why do we believe that this is God's general, our, our God's special revelation to us? First of all, write this down. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to call it his claims, the claims of the Bible. Now, I realize already that there's people who go, if you're, if you're in a debate with somebody and they're saying, well, how do we know that the Bible is God's word? You can't say, well, the Bible says it's God's word. That's called circular reasoning, right? They did that when they tried to date bones. They say, these bones are, you know, a million years old. How are they a million years old? Because we got them out of that layer. How do you know that layer is a million years old? Because we got these bones out of them, right? It's called circular reasoning. But, the, but the, and a lot of people go, oh, that makes sense. No, it doesn't make sense. But, but so that you know 
uh, the Bible does say that it is God's word. I mean, it's a good starting point, right? So the claims of the Bible, over 3,800 times the Bible declares, thus says the Lord, God said, those types of things. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from you whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, watch this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is what? God breathed or breathed out by God and therefore it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Scripture is saying that what you are holding in your hands is breathed out from God. It's, it's spoken to you from God. It's a letter written to you from the heart of God. Over and over again, this, this Bible is inspired, right? The writing themselves have the quality of being God-breathed. Not just the authors or the process, but the actual writing themselves are God-breathed. Claims. Second one, why do we believe that this is God's special revelation, specific revelation? I'm gonna call it consistency. Consistency, write that down. Because, because of the way we have the Bible today, a lot of people think that the Bible is actually one book. Think one book, one book of the Bible. No, here's what you need to understand is the Bible is actually 66 different books. Like, it's like if you went into a library, you would have 66 different books in that library. 66 of them going from one edge of your library all the other edge of your library. That is the Bible, okay? It's 66 books. Now watch this. Those 66 books are written by 40 different authors over a time period or time span of 1,600 years. 40 different authors, 66 different books, 1,600 years. Get this, three different continents. They were written on Africa, Asia, Europe, three different languages. Hebrew, Aramaic, and, and Greek. And get this, consistent throughout. That no one contradicts one another. They all speak of the same thing. They all use the same imagery or types. They, there's this, this consistency throughout. Why and how in the world can you have, get, imagine that. 44 different authors, go write 66 books. Don't talk to each other because it's a period of 1,600 years. Be on three different continents, three different languages, and all have a consistent throughout to make one book as though it's from one writer. How is that? Because it is from one author. It comes to you from the heart of God. There's no other way to explain the consistency of Scripture other than that it is from God. And I hope what I'm doing right now is just kind of wetting your appetite and you go and you research and you Google and you do all your stuff and you go and you discover more and more. Ask the questions. There's consistency throughout. Let me give you one more. Accuracy. And then we'll talk about why this all matters. The accuracy of the Bible. Okay? The Bible's accurate in a couple different ways. First of all, Ready? Prophetically accurate. Prophecy. Do you know that one-third of your Bible is prophecy? One-third of it. Prophecy is God speaking before it happens what is going to happen within the timeline of humanity. Why? Because God is outside of time. And he's trying to show you, hey, everybody! <laughs> Whenever I do God's voice, know that that's not God's voice. It's me doing... Something, she says. He's doing something. I don't understand. But think about it. God's doing this. What is he doing with prophecy? He's going, hey, everybody. 
I'm outside of time, and I'm just trying to get your attention to, to tell you that what you're holding in your hands is, is authentic, it's, it's from me, and in order to show you, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you something's going to happen before it happens, and you're going to be like, how did that happen? And you can go, oh, it must be that God in heaven gave this to me, okay? There's no other way to explain that. And so prophetically accurate, one third of the Bible is prophetic, is prophetic in nature, 85% of it has already taken place. Come on. How, many percent, how much percentage do we have left, everybody? How much? 15%. The first 85% took place. What do you think is going to happen with the rest of 15? It's all going to happen. I'm saying there is a day coming where you will not be able to buy or sell unless you have some mark on your hand or forehead. All, of that, all that's going to happen. Why? The Bible God told you beforehand. Okay? 85% has already happened. Let's talk about some of that so you understand how, how amazing this is. Do you know there's, there's just over 300 prophecies given about the life of Jesus and every single one of them came true in the life of Jesus. Do you know that scripture told us before Jesus was born, when he'd be born, where he'd be born. Scripture told us how he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Scripture told, all of that was told to us. 300 different, very specific prophecies about how he would die. And for one man, get this, to fulfill just eight of those prophecies. Let me give you the math for you, for you math wizards or math geeks in here, okay? For one person to fulfill just eight of those prophecies is the odds are one in 10 to the 17th power. One in 10 with 17 zeros. Okay, it's this big number. One in 10 to the seven. Okay, let me put that down into where you can understand it. That would be like filling the state. This is just to get eight of those prophecies accurate in somebody's life, to have them live out eight. It'd be like filling the state of Texas up about two and a half feet with half dollars. Remember half dollars, little coins? Come on, everybody. You fill the whole state of Texas up and you're wading through all of it. Somebody takes one of them, marks it red, buries it out in the center of Texas, steers it all up and sends you out there to go find that one. Your odds of grabbing that one are the same as one person fulfilling eight of those prophecies. One in 10 to the 17th power. Jesus alone, just the prophecy about him, Jesus fulfilled all 300 of those prophecies. In other words, there is no way the odds are insurmountable. The truth is that God told you Jesus was going to show up through Scripture. And Jesus is our Messiah. We know that. There's just mathematically, there's no other explanation. The Bible is prophetically accurate. This is God speaking to you, my friend. Nation of Israel. You go on and on, but I'll just give you one more. I don't know. Do I have time? I will give you one more. The nation of Israel. I do. I'm going to. Nation of Israel. Think about the prophecies concerning the nation of Israel. It was, it was prophesied over the nation of Israel that that. First of all, that Jerusalem would be destroyed. They used to think back in the day, there's no way Jerusalem could be, be destroyed, right? Just that the, 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 the temple would be destroyed. This big, beautiful temple, how in the world is it going to be destroyed? Well, 70 AD. 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. And at that moment, as prophesied before it happened, Jews would be scattered all over the ends of the earth. That was prophesied before it happened. So now Jews go from Jerusalem and they're scattered all throughout the ends of the, ends of the earth. Scripture goes on to prophesy about the Jews that wherever the Jews would go, um, there would be persecution against the Jews. 
what we saw happen with Hitler and everything else, that was prophesied in scripture before it happened. God told you about these things before they ever took place. It was also prophesied in scripture that the Jews, wherever they would go, would have tremendous world impact, that they would be a blessing to many nations, not just through the Messiah Christ coming through their bloodline, but what they would bring to our world. Do you know that, that Jews are some of the sharpest, smartest, most, like you, God blessed them and they bring a blessing with them, okay? That was all prophesied before it ever happened. Do you know that what we see happening right now in Israel, the Bible prophesied hundreds of years before it ever happened that, that Israel would, be, would cause the world to, to be like a drunken man. And it was like, oh, what's happening in Israel now? Oh my gosh, what's happening? What's happening now with the land? The Bible said that that would happen long before it ever happened. Get this one. The Bible said, long before it ever happened, that Israel would be a nation again. Please listen to me. This is so important. What are the odds? It's never happened before that any, any tribe would be dispersed and, and continue to exist. Anytime a people group was dispersed, that people group would get absorbed into the different places that they were dispersed to and they would cease to exist. The Jews are the only ones who have been dispersed, continue to exist, and scripture actually said, long before it ever happened, that they would become a nation again, that they would have their own land once again. That had never happened. And in 1948, the Jews were given Israel once again. That was, people are going, there's no way. We're talking in the 1800s, we go, there's no way. 1948, God says, oh yeah, there is a way. I said it would happen, and when I say it, it's as good as done. And get this, here's what we're seeing happening right now. God said that there would be this kind of homing beacon inside the heart of all Jews, and they would start to return home. Do you know what we're watching happening right now? Jews are returning to their homeland. From all over the ends of the earth, Jews are uprooting from New York City all the way to different parts of the world and from, from Turkey. They're just coming home. They're coming to their homeland. Why? I just, I just gotta get home. I have friends who are Jews moving back to Israel right now. Why? Because God said it years before it ever happened. Because it's all going along his prophetic and divine timeline. There is a plan in all of this. You see what I'm saying? And friends, the reason that stuff is in scripture is part of the reason is so that you look at it and you go, there must be God in heaven who's given me this. He's, this is prophetically accurate. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me give you one more. Prophetically accurate, it's scientifically accurate. I'm gonna give you two more just because I can't. Scientifically accurate, I'll give them to you quick. The Bible told us before man ever discovered. People say, oh, there's no, the Bible is not scientific. Give me a break. You just don't understand your Bible. The Bible actually gave us scientific facts before we discovered any of those facts. You know that the Bible told, told us that the earth was, was a, is, a, is a circle long before we ever, before Christopher Columbus ever sailed the ocean blue. The Bible said, hey, everybody, it's a, it's a circle. Isn't it funny as a flat earth? Some of you are like, no, it's not, it's flat, like, I cannot believe flat earth theory started rising to the surface again in our generation. All right. The Bible said that the earth is a sphere long before Christopher Columbus ever sailed the ocean blue in Job, uh, I mean, in Isaiah 40. And these verses are all there for you at the end of your, end of your book, end of your booklet. Isaiah 40, verse 22. That the earth is suspended in nothing is in Job 26. That the stars are innumerable in Genesis 15. That there exist valleys in the sea. We went and discovered that. The Bible had been saying that all along in 2 Samuel twenty two sixteen. 16. 
the existence of springs in the sea. We didn't know that. The Bible said that. Genesis 7, 11, 8, 2, Proverbs 8, 28, and on and on and on and on. The Bible says that there's pathways in the sea. We call them currents. The Bible told us they were there long before we ever discovered they were there. It's scientifically accurate, everybody. Let me give you one more accuracy-wise. It, it's, uh, it's archaeologically accurate. Write that one down, archaeologically. Every archaeological dig that's ever been dug has only gone on, gone on to further prove that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, that God knows what he's talking about. This should excite you, right? Like, my goodness, I can hold this book in my hand and realize that this is God leading me to understand more of who he really is. Can I tell you why it matters? Remember I said what we believe, why do we believe it? I just gave you that. Let me tell you why it matters. Here's why it matters, friends. Because this is God showing you how life works. Listen to me. This is God revealing to you who he is. God who created life knows how it works. And if you are going to see your life work and, and for, for everything in your life to line up and work, you should probably start to live your life in accordance with the one who told you, who created it and actually shown you how it works. That makes sense? In other words, like God who created sexuality is gonna show you, here's what sexuality is supposed to look like and here's how it works. And you could all day go, well, I don't like that and I don't think it's right and I don't agree with it and I wanna do my own thing and I wanna go my own way. Fine, but here's what's gonna happen is you're gonna end up getting yourself hurt because that's not how that's supposed to work. And you're going to be, you're gonna think that it's gonna fulfill you but it's only gonna leave you empty because God didn't design it to be that way and he designed it, he knows how it works so maybe you shouldn't use it that way. It's not God trying to be, you know, a, a killjoy or God trying to be, it's God trying to lovingly tell you how this is supposed to work because this is God's authoritative word to you. And you, it matters because there's a lot of Christians today allowing their worldview to be impacted by the world's view. Your worldview needs to be impacted by what? and only directed by what God has said. Because see, worldviews are gonna come and go. They're gonna rise and fall. This will always remain true. This will always remain right. You have to learn to stand not on the authority of Christ and his word, but under the authority of Christ and his word. In other words, I don't, I don't submit this to me, I submit to it. Why? Because it is not an it. This Bible is the living and active, powerful word of God to you and I. It is not just a recording of historic events, not just a recording of, of, of you know, the Ten Commandments, and that this is God's living, active voice to you and I. What the Bible says is that the Spirit of God, as we read the Word of God, begins to reveal God to you in a spiritually dynamic way. The living, active voice of God is heard in the pages of this book. And that matters because you need God. And you get God through God's Word. This is meant to lead you into a relationship with Him. You don't want to know what somebody thinks. You don't want to know. You don't need to know what I think. 
you need to know what God says. Amen? And we have to be a people committed to getting back to this. What does the Bible say about my sexuality? What does the Bible say about the sanctity of life? Like, I'm not going to let other people's opinions tell me what, what to think about the sanctity of life. Here's what God says about the sanctity of life. Here's what, how God sees a child. Here's how God sees an unborn child. Here's how, here's how see, I got to get back to what God's word says, not what your opinion is. And I live my life under the authority of his word because it represents his heart. Does that make sense, everybody? And this Bible, God's word, shows me how life works, and it points me to Jesus. Here's how we'll close. Watch. Every being is going to be impacted by this general revelation of God. You get, there is a God. There's got to be a God. There's, our, our hearts start longing and looking and, and, and searching for what this God is like. I discovered that he's good because, man, I'm breathing right now and I'm living right now. And he's, he's got to be good. I want to know more about him. And that search is meant to lead me to scripture, right, where God shows me that scripture is his word prophetically accurate, historically accurate. It's, it's you know, it's in every way showing me over and over again that this is God outside of time, speaking into time to reveal himself to me. And all of that general revelation leads me to his specific revelation. And that specific revelation, God's word leads me to Jesus. Starts really wide with just the fact that there's this to God in heaven. And then it leads me down to the fact that there's this Jesus who loves me. This Jesus who went to the cross for me. This Jesus who took upon himself my sin so that I can be forgiven and live once again in the relationship with God that I've been created to have. See, scripture points us to Jesus. That's what this is all about.